We are considering the subject of the mystery rapture. And uh, when speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ these last few weeks, the subject of the rapture keeps coming up as a question as to how the rapture fits in to what Jesus Christ has taught about his second coming and about the establishing of his kingdom. So I want to take just a few moments this evening uh, to have a look at this mystery rapture and see how this all fits together. Uh, it can be very confusing uh, when reading passages about the second coming of Christ and the establishing of his kingdom and then uh, wondering what we have heard in the past regarding the rapture uh, of the saints and how that all fits together. So there's uh, three subjects I want to talk to you about uh, this evening. I, uh, you received a little uh, handout uh, that uh, has these three subjects on it. The first one, I, I want to talk to you just for a few moments about the development of understanding in the Bible. Uh, we, we have a completed Bible. Uh, we can jump around and read uh, things that were taught to people uh, that were taught at different times in those times spanning a significant period of time. And uh, we look back and we read it as a completed book. And it's easy to read it as a completed book and think of it in terms that the, the people uh, at any stage had all of the information and they didn't. There was a significant development of understanding as time passed and truth was, uh, was unfolded to people. And so it's helpful for us in understanding something that's complex, like the relationship between the second coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the saints, to be able to just take a moment to reflect on how the information unfolded over a period of time and what people understood at one period of time before future information was revealed to them. And so uh, I want to talk to you about that. And I've, I've jotted uh, down on your little worksheet there uh, five, uh, six uh, statements under development of understanding I want to think through with you. Let's go ahead and move to that next slide and think for a moment about Jewish expectation. Now, this slide speaks of the coming, not the comings, the coming of Jesus Christ and uh, shows one coming of Jesus Christ to earth. The purpose of that is to help illustrate that, that prior to the New Testament, uh, there was an expectation by the Jewish people that a Messiah was going to come. But uh, their understanding of the coming of the Messiah was very rudimentary. They understood a Messiah was going to come. And the, the, whether, the Jewish, whether a particular Jewish person was a, was a devout worshiper of Jehovah, Sincerely from their heart, through the sacrificial system and confidence in the coming Messiah, people like what we read of with Simeon, uh, with Zacharias and Elizabeth, with Joseph and Mary, uh, some of those that were uh, genuinely worshiping Jehovah in sincerity and in truth, depending on the sacrificial system and the coming Messiah, or whether uh, we're talking about proud Pharisees, religious leaders that were filled with pride of their self-achievement and believing that they had a right to the kingdom of God because they were Jewish 
and because they were convinced that they had done a good job earning their way into the favor of God through their keeping of the law and all of its requirements. So it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a saved Jew or an unsaved Jew. They all expected a coming Messiah, and they all expected that that coming Messiah was going to rule over the kingdom of Israel, uh, the kingdom of the Messiah himself. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus is teaching about this coming Messiah and this coming kingdom that would be established. And, of course, Jesus Christ knows that he's not going to establish that for some time yet into the future. And he arrived on the earth not to establish the kingdom immediately, but there was a whole prophetic sequence given through Daniel the prophet uh, that was unfolding unbeknownst to the Jewish people, but Jesus knew about it. So Jesus was coming along and focusing on when he would come to establish his kingdom. Uh, when he came to when he established his kingdom, of course he, there would be the Armageddon tribulation type of stuff as as he would uh, destroy the enemies of God, the enemies of the Jewish nation, to be able to establish his kingdom. But there was some confusion, and I ask you to turn to First Peter chapter one because uh, it, it highlights this confusion that existed amongst the Jewish people, particularly even amongst the prophets that God used to record Scripture in the Old Testament. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 9 says the, that receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So the subject matter is being saved and receiving the end result, the object, the, um, the conclusion of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul, of which salvation the prophets have diligently have inquired and diligently and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. And so the prophets of the Old Testament had talked about, had written about, had preached about this salvation, about this grace of God, and then they actually studied their own writings. Uh, imagine, they wrote it, but they don't understand it. So they have to study what God inspired them to write down about salvation. Verse 11 says, Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So they searched their own writings. They couldn't understand what they'd written because it didn't make sense to them. There was confusion. They wrote down prophecies about the coming Christ or the coming Messiah that talked about him suffering. And yet other places they wrote down prophecies about their coming Messiah and his glory. King of kings, Lord of lords, his glorious appearing, uh, his uh, messianic throne. And they thought, well, how can he suffer and be glorified? This doesn't make sense to us. And so there was uh, a significant confusion amongst the prophets of the Old Testament as to how all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah would actually be fulfilled. They, they, they knew that it, there was a time element to it, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. And so they couldn't understand how all of this was going to unfold and how all of this was going to happen. But one thing they knew, they knew the Messiah was coming and they knew he would establish his kingdom and it would be a glorious kingdom, 
but they couldn't understand how the Messiah could both be a suffering Messiah and yet at the same time also be a glorious Messiah as well. Now, turn with me over back to Acts chapter 1. Jesus Christ came along, and Jesus Christ taught about the kingdom, uh, much like what they expected, a glorious kingdom. Uh, and yet Jesus Christ preached that this kingdom begins with a, with a conversion, a new birth experience, where God begins to rule inside your heart before he can rule outside in society and establish a messianic kingdom. So Jesus came. He didn't fulfill the expectations. He claimed to be the Messiah, but he wasn't a glorious Messiah. Uh, there was no indication that he was going to overthrow Rome. You even remember that John the Baptist, who was all hyped up with the expectation that, that his relative was, is the Messiah, and John the Baptist is excited about the kingdom. He's going to be there. He's going to see it. And then all of a sudden, he gets arrested for his preaching. He gets thrown into jail. He's out there in Fort Machairus on the, uh, up in the wilderness on the east shore of the Dead Sea. And uh, at one of Herod's palaces that he had built. And, he's, and, and he keeps hearing these rumors that, that Jesus isn't going to Jerusalem. He's not establishing a kingdom. He's not overthrowing Rome. And day after day, John kept having people who had been saved and baptized under his ministry who would come and visit him in prison, and he would ask them, what's Jesus doing? Is he establishing his kingdom? And they would keep telling him, no, he's not even talking about anything like that. He's teaching you to love your enemies. He's teaching you to, uh, uh, to turn the other cheek. Uh, he's teaching uh, everyone to to uh, say good things about the people that say bad things about them. Uh, he's, he's not doing what you're thinking, John. And John got so discouraged that he actually began to question whether he had mistaken Jesus as the Messiah when he really wasn't. So he sent two of his people to go up to Galilee where Jesus was and ask him, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? And so Jesus was not fulfilling the expectations that the people had. And yet he kept talking about the kingdom. He kept preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Because Jesus was about conversion of hearts in order for a future kingdom to come into reality. And so uh, as Jesus continued to preach and teach, uh, the people got um, more and more discouraged. The nation of Israel uh, the religious leaders. And so finally, Jesus Christ is crucified and uh, and risen from the grave. And then in Acts chapter number one, verse number six, Acts one and verse six, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Notice the subject is Jesus establishing his kingdom. And so Jesus told them not to be worrying about that. Nobody knows. Uh, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the, uh, of the earth. So Jesus focused them on world evangelism. And yet, their mindset is still the coming kingdom. 
So all of a sudden, Jesus begins to ascend up into the clouds. And in verse number 11, the angels said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And so let's go to the next slide. And so they, it is announced very clearly to them that this Jesus who came once and suffered in humility on the cross of Calvary is going to come back a second time. And he's going to come back to this earth. Just like you've seen him leave from the Mount of Olives, he's going to come back bodily to this earth right here at the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back. And so their mindset is still the kingdom. Jesus coming back and establishing his glorious kingdom. And so they know he came this first time and he came in humility and suffering. And now the angel says he's coming back a second time. And so they're expecting him to come back to establish his kingdom. And so uh, as the uh, New Testament church age unfolds, there's an expectancy. Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom. Now turn over to James Chapter number five, James is probably the first New Testament epistle that was written after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And in James chapter five, James, which was the half brother of Jesus, is very conscious of Jesus promise to come back. And so he says to the to, as he writes the Christians in James five and in verse number seven, he said, be patient in verse number one through six. He's talking about persecution the followers of his half-brother Jesus have been being persecuted for their faith. And so he says in verse number 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. James is conscious that Jesus Christ is going to come a second time. And he encourages the people to be patient until then for the coming of the Lord. I'm sorry, verse number 8 goes on and says, But be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye, be lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Be careful about how you act toward other people, because Jesus, as the judge, is at the door ready to come back. You don't want to catch him treating others unkindly. Grudge not one against another, because Jesus, the judge, is at the door and you don't want to be doing stuff like that and him catch you in doing stuff like that. So, so there's a consciousness that, the, that the, Jesus could come back in any moment. Uh, Jesus is going to come again. And, 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 and we're still thinking kingdom. And we're still thinking of the glorious kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish. And, and so this, this imminence and this expectancy permeated the, uh, the, uh, the New Testament age as... Uh, as uh, World evangelism and churches were being planted. Let's go to the next slide. The mystery is finally revealed. It was the Apostle Paul that God saved and then took him out into a desert. And Paul had not spent time with Jesus. He was an apostle out of due season, he said. He had not been a follower of Jesus Christ from the baptism of John the Baptist. And so he didn't get saved till after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so he had not enjoyed the benefit 
of all of those meals and all of those campfires and all of those sitting around with Jesus, talking to him for the three years of his ministry, uh, Paul was an apostle out of due season. And, and so God took him out into the wilderness and God gave him a, um, uh, a, a, a post-grad course on theology because God was going to use him to record a significant portion of the New Testament. And a significant portion of the New Testament that God used Paul to reveal was a mystery that had never been revealed before. It was the mystery of the church age. And so God used Paul to reveal the mystery of the church age. This brought in teaching and, uh, and, and statements and passages of Scripture that, that don't seem to fit the mantra of Jesus coming back to establish a kingdom. And as a matter of fact, there, there began, began to be confusion with regards to whether or not they were already in the tribulation period and maybe everything that they had heard Paul talk about the mystery of the church age, they got it all confused and messed up. And let me show that to you over in Second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, the second letter Paul wrote to the church that he started in Thessalonica, he wrote to them in the second letter to clear up a misunderstanding about the second coming. In chapter 2 and verse number 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul said, We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. So the subject is, Paul is writing to talk to them about the coming of Jesus and our gathering being gathered to him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Speaking of the, the, uh, the, the tribulation period, the second half of the tribulation period that's often called the day of Christ or the day of the Lord and, and the extensive uh, destruction that we saw from the scriptures this morning. They had, uh, they had gotten the idea that they were already in that. And the Apostle Paul wasn't sure how they got that information. He had been revealing the New Testament mystery of the New Testament church age, had been speaking about God catching us away before the tribulation that precedes the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. And so he gets... Word that the church in Thessalonica is all confused and he's not sure where the information came from. He said uh, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit. Did some demon convey this? Nor by word. Did somebody, some traveling preacher, preach a message with false doctrine in it? Nor by a letter as from us. Did someone write a letter and sign my name to it? And you thought it was a letter from me, the Apostle Paul, telling you we're already in the tribulation, that the day of Christ is at hand? Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? And so, Paul had taught them about the Antichrist. He had taught them about the, 
the, uh, uh, the um, agreement that he had with the Jewish nation. He had taught them about the rebuilding of the temple. He had taught them about, about the fact that the Antichrist would go into the temple and declare himself to be God and uh, would be worshipped, would declare himself to be exalted. And uh, until that man of perdition is revealed, which happens according to the book of Revelation, the middle of the tribulation period, until three and a half years into the tribulation period, there, there's no way that you've missed the rapture. By our, there's no way that you've missed our gathering together unto him. Don't be worried that you missed the rapture. It hadn't happened yet. And, uh, and this, all of this stuff, the, 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 that second half of the tribulation won't start until the man of sin is revealed in the middle of the tribulation period, the son of perdition. So there was a lot of confusion and there was a, a, a lot of uh, uh, uncertainty that was floating around regarding uh, all of these doctrines and all of these things. But one thing they knew, they knew by this time that the Messiah was coming back a second time and that they're in a mystery time that is not foretold in the Old Testament. If you'll go to the next screen, you have that uh, the realization that that churches are being planted all over the world and that it had been revealed that Jesus Christ was going to catch away the believers before the tribulation period started. And so this ongoing revelation uh, that is building throughout the New Testament era as they get more information and more information and as the Word of God is being written, the New Testament is being written, they have a more complete picture and a more complete picture gradually. So when you go back and you look back at the, at the Bible and you read passages about the coming of the Messiah, then that coming of the Messiah could be a number of different things. Depends on what people knew at that time of the unfolding picture of, uh, of the doctrine and the theology. As the New Testament era was opening up and as the uh, Word of God was being written and, and the Apostle Paul was teaching the churches about the mystery of the church age and, and uh, encouraging them about the coming of, the, of Christ to establish his kingdom, but that we wouldn't be in that judgment because we'd be caught away before, then, uh, then they got a clearer and a clearer picture. Uh, it was kind of a picture like uh, God's going to come and judge the world and God, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible, horrible, horrible. As we were reading some of the scriptures this morning, horrible time. But before that happens, God is going to take away his agents. He's going to catch them away before he goes to war, like a country that pulls home their ambassadors before they send the tanks in and the aircraft in. And they pull out their ambassadors before they come in at war against the country, God is going to do that. In the book of Revelation, we find the, the, all of the churches that are the main focus of God in the chapters 2 and 3. Then all of a sudden, from chapter 4 forward in the book of Revelation, there's not a mention of any church operating on earth. There's no, no uh, awareness, there's, there's no reference to any church operating on earth after the beginning of chapter 4. And it's not until the concluding, uh, concluding chapters that, as, as he has finished telling the story, uh, then he comes back to the present and he talks about the churches even saying, Come, Lord Jesus, even so come. And uh, inviting people to come to Christ, uh, 
let the spirit and the bride say come and let him that is a thirst come and all those references of, of churches inviting people to Christ and praying for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. But all of the in-between part of, of Revelation dealing with the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus and the millennial kingdom, there's no reference to any churches functioning. And that's because of the belief that in the unfolding picture of the theology of eschatology, that by that time, uh, the New Testament uh, churches understood that they would be uh, not be going through that time of judgment, that they would be uh, caught away. Now, uh, let, let me let me look at this comparison uh, of the rapture to the second coming. This this uh, and we can go ahead and jump to the next screen, I believe this uh, is uh, on your sheet there in front of you. And I just want to show you this is a comparison uh, of, of the rapture to the second coming. Uh, the, the, the confusion sometimes people have is thinking that the, uh, the rapture is the second coming or the second coming is the rapture and confusion about what's what and which is which. Notice, uh, let's just look down through this. Number one, in the rapture, the saints meet Jesus Christ up in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4. But at the second coming, Christ descends down to the Mount of Olives, according to Zechariah 14.4. Uh, so the, the, they're, they're very different events. Uh, one, Jesus Christ doesn't come back to the earth. That's why sometimes it's not called the second coming uh, of Christ, because the emphasis is not Christ coming back to the earth. It's Christ just descending into the clouds and catching us up rather than him coming down. Then number two, there's no judgment of unbelievers associated with the rapture. When, when you look at all the passages in the New Testament dealing with the rapture, there's no uh, reference to a judgment against unbelievers in the rapture. The rapture is just God catches away the believers before he judges the world during the tribulation period. But in the second coming, the emphasis is the judgment at the second coming. We saw that this morning in Revelation 19. He comes to judge the unbeliever. Number three, there's no mention of the millennial kingdom being established after the rapture. But... With the second coming, Jesus comes back to establish the, sec the, the, uh, the millennial kingdom. Number four, living and dead bodies of saints receive glorified bodies upon being translated. But with the second coming, there's no translation, no glorified bodies ever mentioned in any of the passages dealing with the second coming to judge the world and establish his kingdom. Number five, the rapture occurs before the wrath of God is poured out. But in the second coming... The second coming follows three and a half years of the wrath of God being poured out. In number six, the coming of the Lord in connection with the rapture is seen as imminent. But when the second coming of Christ to judge the world establishes his kingdom, there's, there are numerous signs and events that have to take place. It's not imminent. It couldn't happen today because there are many signs and events that take place before he shows up at his second coming. Number seven, the Lord goes to heaven with his saints. But with the second coming, the Lord comes from heaven with his saints. And number eight, all believers will be removed from earth, leaving only unbelievers. But with the second coming, all unbelievers will be removed from earth, leaving only the believers to enter into the millennial kingdom. So when you go through and compare scriptures that are dealing with the rapture, and the second coming, they're very clearly referring to two different subjects, two different times. And that's why many people 
shy away from calling the rapture the coming of Christ. Although that's not entirely uh, justified because there are passages dealing with the rapture that have the word coming in the passage. So there are times when the Bible refers to the coming of Christ for the saints. And then there are times when the Bible talks about the coming of Christ with the saints. One is the rapture and one is the second coming. But the, the, uh, and some also will use the terminology that the second coming will happen in two phases. The first phase, he only comes to the atmosphere and catches us up. And then seven years later, he comes back to the earth. And so there's the first phase and there's the second phase of the second coming. So there's different ways teachers and preachers and theologians have, have explained the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Uh, but uh, they are very distinctly two entirely different events that will happen. Everything that we looked at the last several weeks on Sunday mornings was about the second coming. None of it was about the rapture. The rapture doesn't appear anywhere in Luke 17. It doesn't appear anywhere in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 in the Olivet Discourse. The rapture doesn't occur in any of those passages because Jesus is focusing on the coming to establish the kingdom of God on earth for Israel. And so all of those passages are focused on the tribulation period, the judgments of the tribulation period, and the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation period to establish his kingdom on earth. It wasn't until after all of that was taught during the lifetime of Jesus and after the Apostle Paul was being used of God to write the New Testament that the mystery of the church age came into understanding and therefore the rapture catching away the believers of the church age before the judgment begins, none of that was in play, none of that was being talked about or taught during the ministry of Jesus Christ. That was all further uh, 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 unfolding of doctrine and teaching uh, that was to happen uh, as the New Testament continued to be writing. Now, let me close with this third subject. It's always the same. What do I mean by that? It's always the same. Whether you talk about the first coming of Jesus, whether you talk about the rapture when he catches away the believers of the church age, or whether you talk about the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation period, there's something that's always the same in all of those. And what is always the same is the impact that that doctrinal teaching is to have on the people alive on earth at that time. In other words, whether it's a passage that's dealing with the nation of Israel living through the tribulation period, seeing the events of the book of Revelation and the events of the Olivet Discourse happen in front of them, they need to be watching because their Messiah is going to show up unannounced and unexpected. And when he comes, everyone in the world is going to know it because of the, like the lightning flashing from one sky to the other. They're to be watching and waiting and aware. Let me show that to you. Before we uh, wrap up tonight, go over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse. This is the sermon Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives just before, a couple of days before he was crucified. He was answering questions about the kingdom, the end of the world, 
Um, Matthew 24, verse number three, they ask him questions. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And he answers and everything he tells them about is the tribulation period. The rapture is nowhere in Matthew 24. It's all the tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus Christ in glory and power to judge a Christ rejecting world and to establish his kingdom. But notice, come down to um, to whatever that verse is, uh, verse number 42, chapter 24 and verse number 42. Notice, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. It's not talking about the rapture, because the rapture is nowhere in this chapter. He's talking about the Jewish people who got saved during the tribulation, or anyone, Gentiles as well, got saved during the tribulation period, that are watching all of these signs and wonders occur, they may even be tracking it through the book of Revelation or through the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus says, in relation to all of that, he says, of the people that are watching that, you need to be aware of what's going on. You need to be aware because your Messiah is coming back. Come down and look at it in verse number 44. He says it again. Be ye, therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Go over to chapter number 25 and verse number 13. After the, the, uh, uh, the parable of the virgins, the waiting virgins uh, at the wedding. Verse number 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Now, all of that is, none of that is being written to us today about the rapture. All of that is written for the benefit of the people alive on earth during the tribulation period, telling them to be watchful and be ready because their Messiah is going to appear at any time. And they don't know the day nor the hour. However, turn over to Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter number 2. Here's a passage of Scripture that is not talking about the tribulation period. It's not talking about the people during the tribulation period who will be facing the judgments of the tribulation period. This is written of our day and age in the church age, church uh, days. And in Titus chapter 2, in verse number 11, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's That's got to be my favorite passage. It is It is a... A, a, a doctrinal passage that's cram-packed with truth and, uh, about salvation and about holy living of saved people. And the motivation for holy living is Jesus Christ could catch us away to be with him at any moment. We are looking for the blessed hope when our great glorious Savior Jesus Christ catches us away into his presence. And so, what's the impact of the second coming of Jesus at the end of the tribulation on the people living on earth at that time. The impact is that it is a motivation for how they're living their lives. How about the, the rapture 
that will occur for the believers that are on earth before the tribulation. Same thing. It's the motivation for holy living. The one thing that is always the same is that regardless of which coming of Jesus you're talking about, regardless of what group of people are alive on earth at the time of whatever that coming is, that coming is always used in Scripture to say to us, be ready, be aware, keep your eyes open, know what's happening, and live ready to meet your Savior at any moment. Because the people alive on planet Earth will be meeting their Savior, whether it's the Messiah at the end of the tribulation or whether it's the Messiah that catches us up into the clouds. It's all the same as far as the motivation to live holy lives. Peter even talked about it in Second Peter chapter 3, talking about something even beyond the end of the tribulation, beyond the millennial kingdom, when God burns up the world and recreates a new heavens and a new earth out of the ashes and gases of a totally uh, burnt up world system. Peter said, knowing that, what manner of persons ought we to be in all manner of holy conversation? It's the knowing the future is the motivation for how we live in the present, regardless what the present is at that time on earth. So the, the rapture is not the second coming. There are passages of scripture that deal with the second coming. But the rapture was a part of a mystery. It was something that wasn't known by man during the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. It wasn't taught about or talked about. The comings was always the coming of the Messiah to establish his kingdom. That existed right up until the time that God gave the mystery of the church age to the Apostle Paul, and he recorded it, began to teach the churches something that didn't fit the picture of a second coming. A time when Jesus would only come to the clouds and take us up instead of coming down with us to the earth. And that whole list of differences. And so, as a result of through the years... People just like yourself, reading the Bible, studying the comings of Jesus Christ, comparing Scripture with Scripture and trying to understand how this puzzle all fits together, has resulted in an understanding that is very widespread, that these are two different events at two different times, separated by seven years. One that will impact us, one that will impact the humans alive on earth, during the tribulation period. And in, the, in, in honesty and in fairness with biblical exegesis, we ought to read things in context and we ought to use verses to teach what they were intended to teach. And only by application would we say that even as the Jews during the tribulation period are told to be ready and to be watchful, if that's true of them in the tribulation period, by application, it's certainly true of us today. But we need to be fair and honest with the Scripture and not teach things from passages that don't say what we're trying to make them say. And uh, so the rapture and the second coming. Uh, confused, uh, but can be separated by careful reading of the Word of God. And I hope that will be of some help to you as you read and think about these two great events that are out in the future that we look forward to. 